You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Uh, can we stand? We're going to read a psalm together. I know, I know you guys were just standing for a long time, but we're going we're gonna to read a couple of scriptures. And if you have your Bible, you can open your Bible to Psalm 8. Um, And I think we have it up there. We'll follow along. I'm reading out of the ESV, but I think it's okay if your Bible is a little different. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, and out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Jesus, we ask that your word would reign supreme today in our midst. We thank you, Christ Jesus, that we have uh, gathered together today to sing of the goodness of what you have done. And we ask today, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, continue the work that you've already started in our hearts, in our spirits, in our mind. And Father, I ask that the word of the Lord today would fall on good soil. Would you put your hand on your heart for me? I know. This is going to be interactive. Say, Jesus, make me good soil for the seed of your word to bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. You have to say amen in Spanish, not in English. (laughs) Just kidding. Amen is like a Hebrew word, right, Bruce? Is that where that comes from? I feel like I should know that. Let it be. Let it be so, Jesus. Um, So, but I mean, how many guys, you know what? I'm not going to make that joke. I was going to say, how many guys named Jesus have you met? Only Hispanic guys who are Latino and speak Spanish. So I'm just saying, Jesus really likes Spanish. Okay. (laughs) How many guys have you met that are named Jesus? Only Latin guys. Okay. I can say that because I'm Guatemalan. Yeah, Jesus. All right. Uh, It's just a little joke. Um, Okay, we've been talking about calling and purpose, right? Uh, Caleb started us off with Abraham, then Charlotte talked about Joseph. Uh, But today I want to kind of challenge us a little bit as we think about calling, purpose, destiny. uh, Because over and over... God challenges our idea of, of kind of what those whom he's called look like. He, um, we kind of see this in his choice of leaders and scriptures, of rulers and kings in the Bible. He, he challenges our idea of where they come from, how old they are, uh, what they should look like, what their social standing is. 
Over and over, God shows us that he alone is king. Um, he's ruler, he's Lord, he's sovereign, he commands the times and the seasons of the cosmos and of humanity. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And yet, he created us in his image, sentient human beings, for a purpose and with a calling. Right? We all know the scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. And if you know it, you can say it with me. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Right? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God has, he sounds, he talks like he has big plans. And I believe he does. But before we continue uh, talking about this, I want to address a problem that exists sometimes in, in Christian circles. And, and I want to address that because I've lived it, I've experienced it. Uh, and growing up as a young woman on fire for Jesus, I love the Lord, he saved me, revival came to our, to our youth group. We'd wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning while we were in high school and get like a prayer chain going so we could be like fired up to preach the gospel in high school. And, and so growing up, I heard so much talk about purpose and calling and destiny. And sometimes as a kid and even as an adult now, that can sound really overwhelming completely overwhelming because this calling, this purpose, this destiny is seemingly unattainable. Like you can't reach it and it's unachievable and, and you can kind of become paralyzed by, uh, you know, into doing nothing, into indecision uh, because our destiny just, we just don't know how to get there. We don't know what steps to take. But as we have already seen, if you were here when Caleb spoke about Abraham, it says that Abraham was called, God told him to leave his land, and he was called, and did God give him a map and an exact kind of bullet point list of what was going to happen and where, we, where he was going to go? If you know the story, it says that Abraham went not knowing where he was going. And actually, the Bible later on says that he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Charlotte also talked about Joseph. And Joseph was able to walk in his purposes and the plans that God for his life, even while in prison. He found, like Charlotte said, and I love this, purpose even in a pit. So if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed or at a loss for the answer to the question of what is my calling, you are in good company today. Um, because I believe that you, um, you know, uh, that you're going to catch what God is speaking over and over in Scripture. We're going to look at the life of, of Saul and David. We're going to do a little bit of a compare and contrast. And, and I pray that you'll call, catch the principles uh, that, you know, what not to do and what to do. <laughs> that kind of help, will help you guide your life and, and kind of your journey of faith. To see that your calling and your purpose as a believer can be lived out wherever you find yourself. Yeah? 
so how do we do this? Like, how do I do this thing that may sound, you know, may sound intergalactic uh, in the midst of the mundane? We're going to dive into, before we go into reading about David, we're going to kind of talk about Paul a little bit. Uh, Saul, sorry, Saul. He was the Israel's first king, okay? He was the king before David. Now, Saul is kind of what everybody thinks a king should look like. And I found a little Google picture for y'all because the Bible, there it is, there he is. I think maybe he could have looked like that. I don't know. Google showed me that picture and I thought it was great. Um, the Bible actually says, and like, like hear this, it says he was tall, he was handsome, he looked just like what you want a king to look like. Uh, it's actually, it said, in fact, there was no other young man in the land like, and we can take that down. The ladies are just not paying attention to me. Thank you. Take it down. Take it down, guys. Settle down. Everybody settle down now. He was a looker. That's what the Bible says. There was no other young man like him. And I don't know if he had blue eyes. I don't know that middle, like, anyway, whatever. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Anyways, okay. Saul looked like what you expect a king and a ruler to be. He was like a head and shoulders taller than everybody else, it says. So, uh. Let's pick it up in 1 Samuel 15, 11. Sadly, this is what God says about Saul. Uh, oh, here we go. See, I told y'all this was too little for me. I've got to change my Bible. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel, the, the prophet, was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. So what brought Saul's kingship to ruin and, and most tragically caused God to remove his spirit from him? We're going to look at a specific story where God asked, and it's in, in that same chapter, God asked Saul to go to a Amalek. I'm sorry if I'm not saying that right. To Amalek. And he says, utterly destroy everything in that land. Like leave no living thing. Because I remember how they treated my people when they came out of Egypt. I don't want any of it. Destroy it. Saul's like, yeah, let's go. Let's go do it. And you know what he does? He actually goes in, destroys the things that don't look good. It actually says that he, he kept the king. I think his name was Agag. And he kept the choice cattle and oxen. And he brought them back. So we're going to talk about some of the things that caused Saul to not be able to walk in his calling and purposes. Number one, Saul disobeyed God. God asked him to destroy everything, but he only destroyed what didn't look good. What looked good on the outside, he kept against God's instructions. Secondly, he didn't trust God to provide he kept the choice cattle, and he said when, he was, um, when Samuel came and confronted him, he's like, you didn't listen to God. He's like, no, no, I did. I have done the Lord's purposes twice over. He kind of like advocates for himself. He's like, no, I did it. I did it. I did it. And Saul's like, I mean, Samuel is like, no, you didn't. You didn't listen to the word of the Lord. He's like, no, we've kept these choice cattle to bring sacrifice to God. He didn't trust that the Lord would provide. He had forgotten. Do you guys remember Abraham 
when he walked up that mountain with Isaac, he had already forgotten what his forefathers had done. The Lord provides for the sacrifice when you need it. He forgot that God can provide. Another kind of interesting thing that I believe caused Samuel not to be able to walk out in what God had for him was that he didn't believe God for his own identity. There's like a really interesting verse uh, in chapter 15 here, uh, verse 17. Listen to this. This is after Samuel has confronted him about not fully obeying the instructions of the Lord. Twice over, Saul... um, Samuel's like, stop, I'm going to tell you what you did wrong. Because he's like defending himself. He's like, no, I did it. I killed everybody. And then I brought the king back. I kept him alive. And then I kept all the good stuff. And Samuel's like, stop, I'm going to tell you what you did. And he says this really interesting thing. He says, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go. And he kind of responds says the mission, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Saul didn't believe the word of the Lord that was spoken over his own life for his identity. He couldn't see it. He didn't see as God sees for himself. And so he didn't walk it out. Do you hear what I'm saying? His identity, he didn't trust the word of the Lord for his identity. Another thing that caused Saul's kingship to come to ruin was that he abdicated responsibility for his sins. He didn't own up to his mistakes. Over and over, twice over, he's like, I did the word of the Lord. It was the people who brought back, who brought back those cattle and all the good stuff that looks good. It was the people. I did my job. And Saul reminds him, no, you are king You are responsible. I've placed you over these people, and you didn't hear. You rejected the word of the Lord. He abdicated responsibility. He blames the people for taking the plunder. He's not walking in the word that God spoke over his life. And another thing that he does, which is really interesting, finally, after Samuel, the prophet, kind of gets it, across to him. No, you did not listen to the word of the Lord. He said, utterly destroy everything. You didn't get finally after like two times over of like trying to get it across to him. You've sinned. You've messed up. Saul says, okay, I did. I did sin. I did. But will you still honor me in front of the elders and leaders of the Israel people of the Israelites? Like, will you come with me and honor me in front of the people so I can make sacrifices? And Samuel's like, I, I literally think he was like, oh my, oh, Jehovah, right? Like, again, he's like, come on, will you just like honor me in front of the people though? Like, I want to look good in front of the elders. He still's trying to fight for his own status and standing. Even when he's been called out in sin. This is what not to do, by the way. Even after he knew he had disobeyed God, he's still consistently fighting for his own standing. If you want to know a way to not fulfill the calling of God on your life, do that. Saul ultimately distances himself 
from the voice of the Lord because it goes on to continue. It says that Samuel did go up and do a sacrifice with him, but then it says he never saw him again. And I believe that his unrepentant heart, his ab- like him abdicating, you know, the responsibility of his sin, his disobedience to the Lord, his inability to kind of own up to what he had done, distanced him from hearing the voice of the Lord again. And ultimately, like, you know, if, we cont- if you continue reading about the life of Saul, it drives him to madness. He is mad with jealousy and trying to build up his own kingdom. When it was his all along, he just didn't believe and trust the word of the Lord. So he distances himself from the word of the Lord. It says that the prophet never saw him again. So don't do that, okay? If you want to walk in your calling and destiny. Now we're going to look at the life of David. And David and Saul are very intertwined, but we're just going to look at a small piece of David's life. And we, I want you to see what sort of things made him walk out his intending calling and purpose. Like, what are some of those characteristics? So I want you to catch this as we talk about this story, okay? I want you to, like, open your spiritual ears. Uh, what made him someone that God doesn't want us to miss? There's actually, like, 141, I think maybe more, chapters in the Bible that talk about David. David's the only David in the Bible. Like, sometimes there's, you know, names used over and over, he's the only David. Jesus referred to himself as the son of David. There's something here that God doesn't want us to miss. So let's look at some of those things. And it was interesting the way that David was anointed to be king. Uh, it was so different than Samuel because, uh, than Saul. And I, I found it kind of interesting. When Saul goes to anoint, um, when Samuel goes to anoint Saul as king, the first thing he says to the people, he's like, well, you guys have uh, rejected the word of the Lord, so here we are. And then he goes on to, like, anoint this guy as king. And I'm like, that's how it started. Like, we're not, we're not off to a good start here. Uh, but the, the Lord relented. He was like, sure, they want to be like everybody else? I'll give them a king. We'll see how it goes. Um, but David, so God removes his spirit from, from Saul, but he's still on the throne. Like, he's still kind of reigning and ruling over the people. And then, but God says to Samuel, now go to Jesse's house. I got somebody there that I want you to anoint as king. So Samuel goes um, under the guise of making um, a sacrifice. Like he goes undercover because, uh, you know, Saul might kill him if he finds out that he's anointing somebody else as king. So he goes to Jesse's house and he's like, okay, like bring everybody before me. I got, I got somebody to anoint. We're going to pick it up at 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, Verse 6. When they came, so Jesse calls all his sons, right? When they came, he looked on Eliab, Eliab, and thought, surely the Lord has anointed this one. Because he probably looked like at that picture, you know, like that. Put the picture back up. Put it up. There we are. There's Eliab coming up. He's like, this is the guy. This is him. I'm sure that's who Samuel thought. Anyway, so Samuel says, okay, it doesn't have to stand. So Samuel's like, um, <laughs> oh, man, I lost my spot now because I got all. Anyways, 
yeah, Eliab thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I want you to catch that. So David is anointed king over Israel in secret, in front of his older brothers. Just interesting thing to think about because it's kind of parallel with Joseph's life. Imagine growing up in a household of all these sons, having the other ones were all passed by, and he knew he was anointed. Like, I don't think that would have been easy. I think in the same way that Joseph kind of suffered at the hand of his brothers, I think David probably had a little bit of that too. Um, so David's anointed king, and what do we expect to happen? Like, well, we gotta, maybe we got to move. Maybe we got to go somewhere, like, you know, get him some king training or something. David gets back, sent back out to the sheep, to the fields. And I think he has a choice to make. Do you lord it over your brothers? Do you think that um, you're too good for your position right now? Or, number one characteristic of somebody who can walk out their life, destiny, and purpose anywhere they are is, or are you faithful and a good steward of what God has placed in your hands right now in the moment? David does this in the field. Knowing he's been anointed, knowing that one day he will be king of Israel and the Lord has spoken, he remains in the field in his father's house serving. Joseph also, if you remember, does this while in prison. He actually rose up to be like, in charge of the whole thing, it says that the warden didn't even have to worry about anything going on in there because his prisoner, Joseph, was faithful and a good steward. Joseph also did it while he was second in command in Egypt. David does it on the field. He remains a shepherd. In fact, he doesn't just wait around until somehow God magically gives him this kingdom. He actually uh, takes advantage of the time. Soon after, in chapter 16, actually, it talks about how Saul was afflicted by a spirit that would just vex him, I guess is the word. Um, and so the guys in his court are like, find somebody, like we all kind of know these stories, I think, if you've been in church around, find someone who can play the liar and, you know, it will kind of bring peace to your soul. So somebody rises up and they're like, I know, I know this guy. And he reads this, and, and I want us to read this scripture, where is it? 16 verse 18. And this kind of gives you a little bit of an insight into what, David did in the waiting. 1618 says this. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. 
and the Lord is with him. So they call him, and he comes into the service of Saul. Like, what an opportunity to, like, get in there and sneak. Do you know what I mean? Maybe, like, throw it in there, like, you know I've been anointed for this by the actual prophet. We know you're going crazy, so this is mine soon. David didn't do that. He served faithfully. He knew that the Lord had removed his spirit from Saul, yet he was a humble king. Well, not yet, but in his heart he was. Another thing that marked David's life, not always, he, was a, he royally sinned and messed up later in life. And we'll get to that. Was that he was obedient to the word and the voice of the Lord. And we're going to kind of jump back to Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 and 23, because this is what the prophet Samuel says to Saul when Saul's not quite getting it, that he has sinned and disobeyed and not heard the voice of the Lord. He says, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices more or as much as in obeying him? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than that, the fat of rams. Hear this. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. I like uh, in the ESV, actually, it says that presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. And I think that's where Saul got it wrong. He made assumptions about God, like, you're not going to provide, or maybe, like, I have to prove myself king over these people. He rejected the word of the Lord, but David walked in obedience to the Lord, and he understood there was something in him that understood that obedience in your heart to the Lord is better than whatever big thing you could bring to him. And I think this is what allowed him to walk in his destiny in the field, by himself, and wherever God took him. David served a king he would go in there, he would play his lyre, sit there, probably knowing, I don't, probably really not really understanding God's timing, but trusting. He had every chance to grumble, he had every chance not to serve or to try to bring honor to himself, and he didn't. David became skillful at an instrument while on the field. He became a man of valor while in the field waiting. He became a man of war. It says he was prudent in speech. I like that it says he was a man of good presence. He knew how to hold himself, even if he was caring for the sheep. And this can, like, this reminds me of my mother. Because she said to me one day, she was like, you can walk into the queen's house. You can walk into whatever place you want to walk into. But if you have believed and know, if you, can, if you can get in your heart, which is what Saul didn't get in his heart, that you are a child of God, 
that you are a son or daughter of the king, that you have been called. If you have called yourself a Christian today, you are called to be a king and a priest in the presence of the Lord. You can walk into anywhere with your head held high. And you got something to say or something to give if the spirit of God dwells within you, if you are willing to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I believe this is, Saul didn't catch that. He was kind of little in his own eyes, and he couldn't see it. The Lord was with David, and I think he believed it, but he didn't lord it over people. He knew it, but he didn't need to prove it to other people. Does that make sense? David was a valiant man, and we see this in the story of David and Goliath, right? Goliath is coming out. The, the armies of God are out there, and I think it's for 40 days, okay? He's coming out. He's spitting on them. He's defaming the name of the Lord. He's saying all kinds of crazy things against them. Jesse, and we know that David is still in the field because it says that Jesse sent his son out with some cheeses to go deliver and find out, like, how are your brothers? Like, how, how are they doing? How are they going? And it says that he, he, he leaves the sheep in the care of somebody else. David shows up to the field, kind of sees what's going on. Goliath has been, like, calling out names, being, like, you know, treating them badly. We're going to defeat you. Your God isn't the God. All these kind of things. Uh, and David's like, who's going to stand up against this guy? Like, where the are we of the Lord here? And I love there's this one little, like, exchange in there that's kind of funny. Eliab, his older brother, comes up to him, and he's like, what are you doing? Like, I know your evil intent. Like, he's got it out against David, and I love David's response. He doesn't respond. He actually, it actually says that, like, he heard him. Eliab's like, get out of here. What are you doing? Like, oh, you're just trying to, like, be this whatever, you know, guy who knows God. I don't know. He didn't really say that, but maybe. Uh, and it says that David just, like, turned around and kept talking what he was talking and what, was, what he was saying to somebody else. Like, we need to go out. Like, we're the armies of the Lord here. Like, we can defeat this guy. And so word gets out. They send him before Saul, and he's like, I'll do it. We all know the story, right, of David and Goliath. He's like, I'm going to do it. Let me at him, coach. Put me in, coach. Okay, let's read 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord deliver me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. We don't know if David had actually seen real action on the field, like real battles with other armies. But he trusted in the word of the Lord. But he also was astute because he used his time wherever God had him to train for the thing that had been spoken over his life. He didn't waste his time. And so I believe he walked in his destiny fully while in the, you know, herding sheep. 
and he's now walking in his destiny fully while being called up to, you know, play the lyre or harp for Saul. And now he's walking in his destiny while he's standing up to the armies of the enemy. And the one thing that all those things have in common is that David believed the word of the Lord. He was humble, yet he knew who his God was. And he was faithful and a good steward in every situation. And so when the moment arose for kind of this mountaintop assignment, it wasn't any different than when he was in this kind of, you know, so to speak, low place in life by himself in the field. He was valiant. He was also humble. And we all know the story. David goes, he defeats Goliath with one stone. And my kids always like to remind me that in the kids' Bibles, it never says the rest, but they like to say it. They're like, and then he grabs his sword and he chops his head. My kids love that. They're like, we want the kids' Bibles to say the whole thing. So I'm like, just read your regular Bible. It's crazy. Um, I recommend it. Later in life, David, their story is incredible. It's better than any movie you could possibly watch. But David rises to be king, and he royally messes up as well. David sins. He commits adultery and murder. He also disobeys God. But I want to remind us of one story towards the end of his life where uh, it was similar to Saul, where there was an army coming against the people of God. And rather than trusting that God could deliver him, David trusts in the strength of his own armies. He counts his army. And he is faced with the consequences of his lack of trust. And the difference, I believe, between him and Saul is that David owns up to his sin and he actually responds by offering his life instead of for the people. He's a foreshadow of Jesus. He offers his life as a substitute for the people. And so I believe that this is another kind of trait characteristic for you to carry and walk with and that's humility before the Lord and the ability to repent when you do mess up and I think a lot of times we 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 can get stuck in our in our sin and be like I missed it I missed my calling I missed it and yes there are consequences to our sin absolutely I wish I could say there aren't, but there are. Actually, I don't wish I could say there aren't. There are consequences to our sin. But if we have the ability to be humble and repent and own up to the consequence of our sin and come before the Lord, the Lord can make something beautiful of it. David understood That nearness to God was better than looking or acting like a king. We see in different parts of his life where he acts more like a priest. You know, when they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, 
he actually dresses like a priest more than a king. And he's a little crazy because he understands that the presence of God is what matters. Rather than kind of, you know, like Saul wanted to look good in front of his elders. He's like, honor me, honor me in front of them. I know I messed up, but I want this honor. David actually was undignified before the elders and the people that he was king over. And in the same way, when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come as a conquering king like everybody wanted him to come. He came as a humble king, right? He came, we're about to celebrate a whole season of it. He came as a human, fragile baby, and he acted more like a priest than a king. And so again, God challenges our idea of um, kingship, leadership, calling, what this looks like in our human eyes. The Bible says that Jesus did everything that the Father told him to do. He walked attuned to the Holy Spirit. Now, we're humans, so, so we're going to mess up. We're not going to have it all the time right. But Jesus is our ultimate example. And so you want to walk in the purpose and calling that God has for you? Value his presence over anything else. I, I, don't, know, I, I don't know how else to word that. That's value knowing about him. You know, sometimes we like to say things in the Bible like, like um, you know, the truth shall set you free. Like, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But you know what it says before that? Abide in my word, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If we don't know what God is saying, we will never walk in our calling because we don't actually know what it is. That's just like a side parenthesis, okay? You want to walk in the purposes of God in every situation that God has you in? Submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's it. You want to know your calling? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You want to know your calling? Go therefore into all the earth. Preach the good news of the gospel. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You want to know your calling? You can be cleaning toilets one day, and you are fulfilling God's calling on your life. If your heart is submitted to the Holy Spirit, you could be right here one day. You're fulfilling your calling because you're loving the Lord. You're being a doctor. You're being a lawyer. You're being a teacher. You change your job. You lose your job. Is your heart submitted to the Holy Spirit? You will fulfill your calling. Know the word and you will fulfill your calling. If you love me, Jesus says, obey my commands. Colossians 3, verse 16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach, admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, 
singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether you are in the field, whether you are on the throne leading a nation, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Skip to verse 23. Again, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving Sometimes I think about our calling and destiny as like the difference between your wedding day and your marriage. Your wedding day is just a party. It's like a one-time event. And sometimes I think we kind of like misinterpret those, our destiny, calling, purpose, that it's going to be this one, you know, when I'm, doing this, you know, when I, um, whatever, have $20 million in my bank, when I am speaking in front of a giant crowd, when I am a famous world dancer, whatever, put your thing in there. And we think that's my destiny. That's fulfilling my destiny. If you go into marriage thinking that's going to be just like the wedding day, you're going to be let down a lot. And we're let down in this life a lot. But over and over we see in scripture that God challenges our idea, that idea of this is what it should look like. Or this is exactly what you're going to look like. No, it's about submitting to the Holy Spirit. It's about a life laid down for Jesus in whatever station of life you may be. So the difference between a wedding and a marriage, a marriage is a lifelong commitment to love, to get to know one another, to work hard, to fight through hard seasons, to celebrate big and the good ones. Your primary calling, dear Christian today, and I've already said it, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. To acknowledge him in all your ways, right? To be able to say like David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He said, I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and he delivers me from all my enemies. He says that in the cave while being chased down by a mad king. Your destiny and calling is not your greatest, is not, like, doesn't lie in your greatest achievement, but in the attitude of your heart in whatever place, wherever it is that God has placed you. For the Lord sees not as man sees. The Lord sees, not as man sees. So my prayer today would be that you would leave here with the mind and attitude of Christ, that you would walk with your head held high because you are a king's daughter. You are a king's son. 
and you can walk into your job tomorrow or Tuesday knowing whose kid you are, knowing that you walk in your destiny regardless of the current situation. You have the love of Jesus in your heart. You have the good news of the gospel. Walk like it. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Your destiny is not in whatever big achievement you can think of. The Westminster Catechism was agreed upon in 1647. And if you don't know what a catechism is, it's kind of like a series of questions that they came up with to teach the tenets of our faith to people and kids. And the first question is this. What is the chief and highest end of man? And the answer still rings true today for you, believer. And that is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Can you stand with me? We're going to pray. Psalm 51, Paul, I mean, David prays this after committing adultery, and he's feeling it. And I pray that we would know God in this way. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, to us here, the joy of your salvation and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us, Jesus. So, Father, today I pray over every person in this room where they may be feeling a little aimless or not knowing what their calling or purpose is. Jesus, would you come and meet them today that they would see what you have for them. And the main thing it is, is that they would encounter your love, Jesus, first and foremost. That they would walk acknowledging you in all their ways, no matter where they're at, Lord. Father, we ask that you would come into every family situation right now, like we were singing about. That you would speak where things uh, are feeling hopeless, Lord. We ask that Jesus would come into those places and speak life over the people here, Lord. In Jesus' name, God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your presence. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.